you're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Michael Degler, showrunner of HBO's Perry Mason, starring Matthew Rhys. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Storytelling is probably one of our oldest art forms, and it has helped us, again, in so many ways. It has helped us understand who we are as people, what our emotions are, and it makes us understand, again, our history and how we are trying to evolve from that. And we can't silence the arts. We can't silence those voices because if we do, we lose something that is so crucial to who we are just as human beings. We want to tell stories. We want to express in not just hard news ways, but in other ways for people to connect to who may not have a necessary connection to just a news story. Just personally in terms of, of the arts that really helped me as a writer, and it has nothing to do with actual writing. When I was in college, I took a drawing class and I can't access that side of my brain. I mean, I can doodle, but I cannot draw. And then one day the teacher wanted us to do negative space drawings. And I said, what is that? And they explained that it's looking at what's around the object and not the object. And it clicked and it made me look at things from a whole different perspective. And you know what? I was, that was where I was most successful. And so for me to say, there's an infinite number of ways to look at something and the infinite number of ways to tell a story that you never run out of ideas, that you can always find another road, another way to look at something was probably one of the key elements to my career. I call it the percolating trauma inside him. And I think that it's a combination of things with Perry Mason. Again, it's holding on to this trauma that happened a dozen years ago in the war, that this is not something that he has really dealt with. And I think you can't take that lightly. It doesn't go away with time. It doesn't heal. It's still inside you and it's still informing who you are. And I think that was important in coming into this season too, because here is a man who's now thrust into this whole other battle. He's now an attorney. And how does he put lives in his hands? So he's gone through this in season one. And now we're coming into season two, knowing that he's haunted by the fact that he thought he saved somebody. He put Emily Donson's life in his hand only to have her commit suicide. So now he's wrestling deeply with the flaws in himself and his character that these soldiers put their lives in his hands in the war. Emily Donson put her life in his hands in the trial. And now he's going to take on these two boys who could swing on a noose. Does he want that? Does he have enough inside him? And that's why we play with the imposter syndrome, because he doesn't know if this is who he really is. And does he still have that fight inside him? And so I think that's the sort of push-pull I think that you're alluding to inside and in that he's trying to hold it in and trying to hold it all together. And we do see those moments when he can't hold it back, when he punches the guy in the face in episode four, when he steals the horse. These are things that he needs to release that valve because it's so much he's trying to hold on to to get to the result that he wants to win the fight because he hasn't fully won a fight yet. And that's hard. In this era, there was this movement afoot to rid the city and rid the country of the Mexican community. And what we see in the 30s is really this forced deportation. I think they called it even repatriation. It was taking not only people who were born in Mexico and came across the border and settled, but people who were born in this country. And even if they didn't speak a word of Spanish, they didn't care, send them away because it was someone to blame. It was taking away jobs. And this was what they felt was the answer, which we see a lot in 
again, the politics of today. And to us, it was just very interesting that this is an ongoing dilemma problem for this community, not only as we see in the 30s, but we're hinting at what happened in Chavez Ravine coming up and forced out of your homes. And what happens when you're just backed into a corner over and over and over again? Where do you take those feelings of anger and hurt and pain? And what do you do with it? Well, it's interesting. I remember being on set one day with Matthew when we were just having this discussion about his character and where do we want him to be actually at the end? And again, not giving anything away. This is when all the Roe v. Wade stuff was going on. And it's this idea that you fight for something and then this decision comes down and you feel a sense of defeat and you feel like, well, there's nothing we can do. But at the same time, you still have to fight. You still have to get up because as we said, when you fight, you still have hope. And that's the most important thing. And I think that inside Perry, that's what's always going to keep him going. As cynical and pessimistic as he seems to be in the world that he's existing in, there has to be that pilot light of hope at all times. Otherwise, why would he do this? Why would he defend these boys? Why would he take on X, Y, or Z cases down the road? Because there is always going to be a part of him and a part of all of us that has to hope that as bad as when we scroll through the New York Times or whatever in the morning and just we do our doom scrolls and go, uh, uh, uh. But there's a thing that keeps us going, whether it's on the grander scale of activism or just on the small scale of trying to raise your children in the best light of what's going on. And I think that that's both with Perry. We're seeing it both on the grand scale, but also, again, on the smaller scale with someone trying to be a good father. I think that he definitely lives in the gray. He definitely doesn't see the world as black and white. I think he's smart enough to understand that. But he also feels that we are humans and that the law is the law and it should apply equally to all of us and that we all are granted that right to live a good life. And I think that that's probably the most important thing for him. And so I don't think that he can sit on this idea that justice is only for the ones who can pay for it. Here's a man who comes from a family of dairy farmers who struggled and struggled to keep this thing afloat. And on our minds, their land was probably bought up by all the guys in the early 1900s who were really buying all the land for all the water rights in LA. And so he understands what that struggle is. And that struggle goes beyond race and religion, but really it can break you. And I think that he holds on to that. Ron and Roland and Team Downey, this was a sort of a thing that they came up with. But I think what we wanted to explore in season two was really kind of dig more into this idea of number one, what is it to be a woman with ambition in this era? 3% of women were attorneys in the entire nation in 1933. So that alone is an uphill battle. And then when you add the complication of being queer in this time and that there are laws against it, that you have to make sure every step you take is so calculated and so careful that you don't slip up. And what we really liked about exploring in this season is twofold in her personal and her professional life in the sense that in her personal life, in the first season, she's in this very chaste relationship with Hazel, and it's very much kept behind closed doors. They never go anywhere. It's all their scenes basically take place in the boarding house, and most of them in a locked bedroom. Here, she's really in love for the first time and meeting someone that is her equal, but is someone who can show her that there is a world that she can exist in. But it's scary. It's a very scary place for her to be. And as exhilarating as it is, and it's still, it's a risk. So 
finding that balance for her was really important. And also on the professional level with trying to make it again in this world that is dominated by white men and finding a mentor in Camilla Nygaard, one of the few women who is actually based on a real woman of the time. She was actually a woman. Emma Summers started as a piano teacher and bought oil wells and became a very wealthy woman because of it. To see that that brass ring is possible, but you've got to play the game just right, I think is very key that helps to open up this character throughout the season. And considering all the past trauma that Perry Mason is going through, it was nice to see a little bit of sweetness in the character played by Catherine Waterston. Ginny's character is a school teacher who seems to know how to do everything from riding horses and having a great empathetic spirit. So it's nice to see him come out of the past and look yeah. forward to things. Yeah, well, the line she says as they approach the edge of the hill that they're riding the horses on, where she says, nobody tells you what was, only what can be. And I think it's for him to hear that and look out at this city through a different lens, that he isn't just stuck in the street with the giant buildings around him, claustrophobic, boxed in. Here's the expansiveness of what this can be. And it's not just this very myopic or small view. It's expansive. And what I love about that shot, too, is when we see a side shot of that, it's subtle, but what you see is the Griffith Observatory being built. And again, here's this idea of anything is possible and we're expanding. We're not only expanding the city, but we're expanding into a thing that's going to look up into the heavens and there is no limit. And I think that Ginny brings that sort of spirit to a man who seems like he was just for so long stuck on one level and now is giving him that sense of there's more possibility. I think the best example for me were my parents, for sure. You know, I think there are certain things that they instilled in me from a young age that I carry with me as, as a writer and as a grown man. I think there's a sense of humility, a sense of patience, and a sense of humor. You know, I think those three things are so important. I think that humility, number one, that in all our situations and looking at everyone and having the patience to listen to who they are and what they are and what their circumstances are, and then to not take yourself too seriously, that you have to give yourself a chance to breathe. And all of that sort of helped inform and form the person that I feel I am today. And hopefully that I am now instilling on my own son. And I think that without my parents, you know, they weren't overly political, but I feel that by instilling this in us, it helped me want to explore these ideas on a sort of a bigger, bigger scale and in a way that that felt right for me. I'm not a person who is a real activist in terms of being out front of something. I'm using the power that I know I have, and that's through writing. And I feel that I get the most fulfillment and can say the most with it. And again, that comes from the openness of my parents. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.